0: Can you prove any of this?
1: No, absolutely not. A good conspiracy is um, an unprovable one. If you can prove it, I mean, they must have screwed up somewhere along the line. And if, if that's the case, well. They who? They. Well, they. I I. I don't know. That's why they call them they and, and them.
0: Hello, Americans. This is the Urbane Cowboys Podcast with Josiah Neely of R Street Institute and Doug McCullough of Lone Star Policy Institute. Good day.
1: Howdy, y'all. Welcome to the Urbane Cowboys podcast. I'm Josiah Neely with the R Street Institute. And I'm Doug McCullough with the Lone Star Policy Institute. If you
0: enjoyed today's show, we ask that you would subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or SoundCloud.
1: So our guest today is Philippe Nemois, who is a philosophy student at Cornell, although I believe uh, he's currently in Paris, where he is from. Uh- That's
2: well, I'm not from Paris. That's yeah. not... Right. Okay. All right. You're
1: you're from France, though.
2: I'm from France. I am from France, but I'm not. I, I do live in Paris now. But uh, but um, I'm from you're, Bordeaux
1: originally. This is how
0: conspiracy theories get started: is people start spreading false yeah, information, yeah.
2: especially like you know really bad rumors, like the one that I'm from Paris. <laughs> yeah,
1: it would be horrible if you were you from if you were from Paris. What? Where in France are you from? Uh, Bordeaux. Oh, okay. All right. Gotcha. 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 Okay. So, uh, welcome to the program. Uh, so we wanted, to, yeah. So we wanted to have you on to talk about something a little different today. We want to talk about conspiracy theories, uh, which this is a subject. You know, conspiracy theories have always been a part of uh, American politics and world politics. Uh, in fact, the United States arguably was founded on the basis of a conspiracy theory. Um, but it does seem like they have become more prominent, perhaps more mainstream in the past few years. So we just wanted to try and uh, talk a little bit about that. And, uh, and I think probably the, the place to begin, since you're a philosopher, I'm sh- I assume you like definitions. So how, you know, what is a conspiracy theory? How do we define that as opposed to just other theories about the world and you know politics or whatever?
2: Yeah, that's that's a good question. I mean, you know, if you just take the the definition of a conspiracy, I guess it would be something like, you know, it would be a very uncontroversial or like um definition something like just you have a bunch of people who um uh collaborate with each other in order to achieve a, a, some kind of aim and and it has to be some somewhat secret or something like that, I guess to count as a conspiracy. Uh if you go by the definition of the word at least. But I think uh what most people have in mind when they when they use the expression conspiracy theory is something more than this, because if you just, it has a very like strong normative component, I think. So when people call something a conspiracy theory, they are suggesting that it's kind of wacky, you know? Well, if you just leave it at that, you know, what I just said, there wouldn't be necessarily anything wacky about it, you know? There There are people, there has been, and no doubt there still are. People who, who conspire, you know, in secret to achieve some aim, uh, sometimes the aim in question is uh, is ominous, sometimes perhaps not so much. But when uh, when people call something a conspiracy theory, usually there's this normative component that it's not, it, it's crazy, you know, it's not something plausible. It's like, if you believe this, you're a moron or something like this.
1: Yeah, the 9-11 attacks were the result of a conspiracy by uh, some bin Laden, Al-Qaeda. Exactly. Others. Yeah. yeah. But if you if you say when people talk about there are a lot of conspiracy theories surrounding nine eleven but but people don't consider that one of them that's just
2: yeah yeah if you, if you say al qaeda conspired to uh, to do nine eleven then nobody's going to call you conspiracy theory because people assume that the the theory in question is true you know there is good evidence for it uh, et, cetera, et cetera. now if you go and say that it's like I don't know uh, George Bush or Israel or whatever you know the 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 Freemasons or Whatever conspiracy theories are floating around about this and say that they are the ones who uh, who did 9 eleven somehow um, and then pinned it on uh, on ben laden you're going to be called a conspiracy theorist that's not that's not really because it's a conspiracy you're positing a conspiracy per se that's because you're you're positing a conspiracy that people take to be widely implausible
1: right or it's somehow you know uh, somehow Somehow, you know, deficient, right? Yeah. Yes,
2: yes. Like epistemically deficient is a jargon that philosophers, I guess, would would use, perhaps, for this.
1: Right. Yeah. Because I'm sure that you know, if you were to talk to someone who promotes, even you know, kind of out there. Conspiratorial views, you know, like uh, Alex Jones or someone who, although I, I actually I was listening, uh, a- Alex Jones was on the Joe Rogan podcast recently. And I should say, I'm from Austin. I remember Alex Jones watching him when I was in middle school and junior high. He had like a public access TV show. It was basically the same sort of crazy New World Order, black helicopters, conspiracy stuff. So oh. he hasn't really changed that much. But the, the, there was a kind of funny moment in this podcast where you were
2: going to tell me that he used to be a very reasonable guy. That would have been pretty interesting, but <laughs>
1: well, no. I, I mean, I, there are a lot of people that I talk to who's who think that you know it's all just an act for Alex Jones, uh-huh. right? Like he's doing it to make money. I can't rule that out. However, I will say that if it is all, all an act, he was playing a very long game because <laughs> yeah. you know public access TV. I don't know if they have this in France or if you're familiar, but basically anyone can just sign up and go on tv and do a show right no, you're not I making didn't even know the concepts off. yeah uh, you're not making any money off in fact i think yeah. you have to like pay a little bit of money in order to yeah, do I
2: mean, it maybe uh, he's a genius and he saw the internet coming and everything
1: may- maybe maybe but maybe. if so he, you know like, like i say if so he's been playing the long game but um uh, on this it, on this podcast you know it, it it's like five hours long uh it's Joe Rogan thing but So for the first, you know, several hours, he's talking about all sorts of crazy stuff like NASA has its own parallel government and there are like aliens that are communicating with people and so on and so forth. And then at some point they get on the subject of uh, the moon landing Mm -hmm. and Joe Rogan says, oh, I think. I kind of think that 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 was faked, right? Which is a common conspiracy theory. But th- this, I guess, is too much for Alex Jones, and Alex yeah. Jones starts arguing, no, 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 the the moon landing's real, and you know, this is, uh, there's this evidence you could try, you know. So that that was kind of an amusing, uh, yeah, that's pretty funny thing. So yeah, I, like if you go to Alex Jones, he thinks he has good evidence and arguments for all of his theories, right? Yeah. So may, maybe if you ask him, he's like, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. The conspiracy theorists are the people who think that the aliens are trying to take over the world or, or whatever, you know. Yeah. I guess you could just say, well, the difference between Alex Jones and someone who doesn't believe in the like Keebler elf aliens is that Alex Jones is actually wrong.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, there you know, there are objective facts about which theories are well supported by the available evidence and which aren't. I mean even though philosophers disagree a lot about what constitutes evidential evidentiary support for for a theory and etc. You know, but you know there aren't many of them who dispute that uh, uh, some theories are better supported by the evidence than others. But but you know this is an objective fact, and then you know there is people subjective appreciation of the degree of support that each theory has, and so you can people can like you know obviously Alex Jones disagrees that. I don't know the theory that 9/11. I don't even know if well he, if he believes it was committed by Bin Laden or not. But the, you know the, he probably disagrees with, with us that the theory that it was committed by George Bush or like uh, some secret parallel government or whatever is uh, is not well supported by the evidence. But you know it's probably wrong about that. Like there is like the the fact of the matter is that the evidence does not support that theory very well. Uh, it does support the theory that. The hypothesis that it was Al Qaeda and Bin Laden, uh, pretty well. So, but it doesn't mean that you know everybody is aware of this. Obviously, everybody isn't. Otherwise, there wouldn't be people we call conspiracy theorists around. There is also another question, which is when do people call uh, uh, something a conspiracy theory? And and there, I think there is a huge political element where you know people will they'll use that as a der- derogatory term. So, um, you know, there are people who accept like things that. Objectively, probably should be called crazy conspiracy theories, but they never, almost never, get called like like that for sociological reasons. You know, just because the right kind of people believe it. And similarly, you know, sometimes you have crazy people. You know, people who are otherwise not uh, not very sane or who are typically wrong or maybe right about something. even though they're like positing some kind of conspiracy, but the sophisticated, um, like the educated class. Isn't really interested in in believing that stuff, even if it's true or at least has good evidence behind it. So so it's not going to get called a conspiracy. It's going to get called a conspiracy theory, even though it shouldn't, according to the definition we were we were working with previously. So you know you have those two issues that that can con- conflict. You know.
1: Right. Yeah. I I recall back in the nineteen nineties uh, there was a famous incident where the the singer Sinead O'Connor. She was on Saturday Night Live, and she ripped up a picture of the Pope and said something about, like, basically the the Catholic Church was covering up uh, sex abuse of minors, something like that. Uh, And, you know, she's kind of like a weird person. I remember at the time, like, this caused a big controversy at the time, and she came across when she was talking about this stuff as, you know, a little nutty. She's kind of a little nutty in general. And I, I don't know if anyone specifically accused her of being a conspiracy theorist about this, but... Certainly, if you were, you know, if you back then were to tell, go around telling people that, you know, yeah, the the Catholic Church has been like covering up sex abuse cases. And in fact, not only that, but the Cardinal Archbishop of Washington, D.C., you know, who's like the leader of the church, he himself is a, you know, a pedophile priest or whatever. Like pe- People would probably consider you to be a. A conspira- a conspiracy theorist,
2: right, yeah, and yeah, then right. later turned out oh well, that was all true <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, some I mean you know, there's also another thing which is that people can be wrong- can be right for for bad reasons, you know, so right, some nuts can like say something that sounds crazy and that later turns out to be true, it doesn't mean that they had any good evidence for for saying it in the first place, you know, and it can be perfectly reasonable in other words to to deny something and even call it crazy or, you know, say that it's entirely unsupported by the evidence, uh, even though it, it later turns out to be true because, you know, sometimes you just don't have evidence for something that's true. And the rational thing to do is, is not to believe it. Uh, In fact, it may even be to believe that it's not true. Right. Well, and
1: sometimes, you know, along, along with the craziness goes like, I mean, there is a a fair amount of, um, uh, you know, an instinct towards conformity that can blind people to evidence that, you know, might otherwise, you know, it's often the case that you, it's, you know, everyone thinks something and then uh, something happens and people look back and they're like, well, gosh, how didn't, why didn't we see this? Right? You know, the evidence was kind of staring us in the face. And part of that may be that you, people don't think, people don't think about it because, Socially, they know that they're supposed to believe something else. Or,
2: yeah, no, if and- you if you manage to uh, convince people to to make some idea to 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 associate it with nutty people with something that's somehow not respectable that is not the kind of thing that a good like educated person believes. I mean, this is this is a very effective way of ensuring that it's not going to be believed, even with possibly with good evidence. You know, uh, and I'm not even saying this because necessarily because like the people who won't believe even. We won't believe the theory even when good evidence is pre- presented or like consciously deciding to claim that it's not true that they don't believe it even though they can sort of see that the evidence is good although I'm sure this also happens be- for those like social reasons you know the fear of being labelled as a, as a crazy I think like even unconsciously the social status of certain belief will will have an effect on, on your assessment of how well supported by the evidence they are you know so even like even a, a purely, like a purely epistemic judgment of of some belief will be affected by this kind of like social considerations, even if you're not consciously aware of it.
1: Right, right, yeah. I I I have had several people tell me that you know, in 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 retrospect, you're talking about a case like before the invasion of Iraq. Yeah were there weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it's, I don't, e- even in retrospect, I don't, I would not say that it was a crazy thing to believe that there were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. However, I do think that people to some contrary evidence or things are arguments that pe- some people made uh, to say, hey, you know, actually, there's alternative explanations you know that was kind of dismissed because cause people thought well all the smart people accept that there are weapons right so clearly if someone's saying that there are no weapons I mean that's just you you can be against the invasion but you got to admit that there are weapons right yeah yeah no, nobody uh,
2: wants to nobody wants to be the 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 the, the guy like the I was going to say the bad guy but you know the the nobody wants to be the on the side of the crazies and I'm not saying here that. When I say this, I don't just mean that they don't want to be the crazy for for other people, but I think they also don't want they also don't want to think of themselves uh, as crazy, you know. So people, right. I think this is a very common phenomenon. I think you see this in in elections too, and like in people's voting behavior. Like if you, if I take the French example, I can tell you that there are many people, especially old people. So for instance, something that might surprise an American audience, but old people in um, the, the National Front. Uh, in France, does very poorly uh, with old people compared to the rest of the population. Mm-hmm. This might surprise people in the U.S., but uh, but it's true. And it's like the opposite. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, the opposite of Trump, opposite. for instance, in the U.S. You know? Yeah, and so um, and but this is really genuinely surprising because when you talk to many old people in France and you ask their beliefs about immigration, about you know crime and a bunch of other things. They will tell you things that will make look Marine Le Pen like uh, like some leftist. Uh, and yet, if you suggest that they might vote for uh, the National Front, they'll be horrified. But they won't be pretending, you know. Actually, not someone—I mean—they're they're, generally—I they're genu- have no doubt that—and you know, we know we have the we have good data on this that show that they really don't vote for the National Front, or you know, fewer of them do than the rest of the population. Even though probably, if you look at their ideology, uh, you'd think that they'd be more likely to to do so. And I think one of the main mechanisms of this weird phenomenon is that they don't want to think of themselves as extremists. And, you know, because Le Pen is often presented, I think it's ridiculous, but that's another debate as the, the heir of, uh, of, uh, collaborators during World War II, etc. Those guys went through this, or at least they knew people who their parents, you know, went, went through this and they've heard it firsthand, etc. They don't want to think of themselves as that kind of person, you know the kind of person who votes for the national front. So they don't. And I think it's very similar to what is going on when someone who like can sort of see that uh, the evidence is is pretty pretty good in favor of some claim, but... At the same time this this is a kind of a view that respectable people don't really believe, so I think more or less unconsciously they will just refuse to believe it, even though also more or less unconsciously they can sort of see that the evidence does support the view so so I think you know this is something something that probably happens uh, fairly often
0: a few minutes ago you you mentioned epistemology, so I want to ask a, I guess a couple of related questions. One is how do conspiracy theories start? Why do people concoct uh, or structure conspiracy theories? and and then, from the epistemology standpoint, how can somebody uh, who's trying to find the truth, trying to find facts, how can they identify when there is a conspiracy theory?
2: People like the idea, I think of uh, being like a part of the happy few that that know how things really work. And so for for, his- for this to be the kind of thing that only a happy few can know uh it helps if uh, there is some kind of secret conspiracy going on because then by definition knowledge of it is 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 somewhat hidden uh and you have to pieces you know piece it back together from uh, from clues that that may not be obvious that sort of thing i guess so people it's kind of like um Gnosticism. Yeah, it's a, yeah exactly i mean it's it's uh it's good for self-esteem i guess if you can think of yourself as someone who who is you know one of the few who can see behind the the appearances and, and so i imagine that for some people that's uh that's one of the motivation that's one of the things that explains that explain why they they come to believe some crazy conspiracy theories uh you know there's like uh sometimes there can be not good reasons but uh Reasons that at least superficially are not completely crazy, you know. Like I do think that, for instance, the mainstream media is, is very bad. I think they say a lot of crap, and so it generates distrust of of what they say. That that might lead some people to believe all sort of crazy things, you know, just because they're the kind of thing that the the mainstream media would not would not propagate. Uh, and obviously, that's not really a good reason because the fact that, like, even if I'm right that the mainstream media pedals a lot of bullshit. Uh you know, that, that doesn't make the other kind of bullshit the kind of bullshit that the mainstream media doesn't pedal. Uh right. But but for many people, you know. So this isn't something this this wouldn't explain why people would believe in conspiracy theories per se, specifically, but uh but you know, it would explain why they would believe some crazy stuff in general, and some of that crazy stuff is gonna be conspiracy theories. As to the second question, how does someone who's um interested in knowing the truth goes about you know figuring out whether something is a conspiracy theory in the in the bad sense you know and the, like that is a an implausible the the very like not well supported by the evidence kind of of conspiracy theory i mean i guess you you would go about the same way the same way you do uh for any other kind of belief you know like you just have to to look at the evidence and whether it supports it well or not uh and i don't think there is any there is actually a paper written by a philosopher i forgot his name where he defends the view that there is nothing special or especially bad about conspiracy theory per se and as far as i remember i've read that a long time ago so i may not remember that well but uh, as far as i remember is basically arguing that knowing that something is a conspiracy theory per se doesn't make it implausible it all depends on how well supported it is by the evidence and just knowing that something is a conspiracy theory, that is, that it posits that a bunch of people uh, collaborated secretly to achieve some aim, you know, often uh, some kind of nefarious aim, doesn't in and of itself suggest that it's false. Uh, it's just that perhaps as a matter of empirical fact, most of those theories are not well supported by the evidence. I, I think there are interesting parallels between conspiracy theories and pseudoscience. So yeah. if you look at... Uh, if you look at something like, uh, the, the, the crude version, at least of creationism or something like that, you know, you can come up with all sorts of objections against those views. And, you know, you can, you can take any other example of a pseudoscience, like, uh, some like crazy, uh, natural, um, medicine or whatever, you know, that doesn't really work, but people are going to keep propagating this or, you know, anti vaxxers or that sort of thing. Uh, it's not that, you know, people will always be, you won't, you know, there's this kind of myth that was propagated by Karl Popper, who was a, a popular philosopher of science, and he thought that there, there was a, um, a clear-cut demarcation criterion between science and pseudoscience. And uh, the demarcation in question, criterion in question, was uh, falsifiability. So basically, roughly the view was that a theory is scientific if and only if, it can at least in principle be falsified by observation, right? There is an experiment that's gonna falsify, that could falsify a prediction of the theory, at least in principle. Uh, but for various reasons, this doesn't really work. One of the reasons is that if you, if you take any like pseudo-scientific theory, sure, perhaps the theory as it stands currently is falsifiable by, uh, uh, some, some experiment or observation, so you can always bring about some kind of evidence to a creationist or an anti-vax that seemed to contradict his theory, but he'll always be able to add some auxiliary hypothesis to his theory, some ad hoc hypothesis to protect his, his crazy theory. So you, and you will never, you know, this will never end. So what, what, what differentiates uh, a good theory from a bad one or pseudoscientific theory from a, an actually scientific theory is not so much that one is, fa- is falsifiable and the other isn't because they're all or none of them are you know you can always add some some hypothesis to protect them what what differentiate them i think is that so again like philosophers of science disagree a lot about this but some are going to tell you about how good theories have more like unificatory power they can explain more a more diverse array of phenomena, whereas uh, a crazy, really bad theory cannot do this. It's like, it's it's been tailor-made, it's tailor-made for one particular thing. In order to explain that thing, you have to constantly add purely ad hoc hypothesis to resist the new pieces of evidence that are brought against your theory uh and, and that's another difference actually is that a good theory you don't need to do this you you, you don't need to constantly add the uh, new ad hoc hypothesis to protect it you know it it's it's pretty it's pretty solid in that way but uh and i think it's there's something similar going on with conspiracy theories you know like if if you were me- you were talking about how uh alex jones would react to my calling some, some of his conspiracy theories, conspiracy theories. And you were saying, you know, he would deny us this vehemently. And I think you're right. And I even think he would come up with like some explanations against my arguments. You know, I would point out that something is incompatible with like the original version of the conspiracy theory. And I've noted that they would come up with some um auxiliary hypothesis that explains the apparent discrepancy and say that oh it's actually it's it's only it only has the appearance of a something that is in contradiction with the theory. Really, it isn't contradictory because you have to take into account this other stuff that I hadn't mentioned until now. And so I think there is this um, similarity between the two things, right? Which is also I'm sorry, interrupting. No, no you, I would- that's
1: also like if 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 you were to be propounding the like official theory of nine eleven, you know that it was Al Qaeda and there was planes, everything, and someone were to like bring up seemingly contrary evidence to you, right? Like that's also what you would do is you come yes, up with well, yes. you know, this is how you explain that. Yeah.
2: yeah, no, that's a very good point. So actually, one of the reasons why um, the, the philosophers of science have, have almost always rejected, or not always, but today most of them, virtually all of them, reject. Uh, Karl Popper's philosophy of science, the, the thing I was talking about before, the idea that's, uh, that a, a scientific theory, uh, is only, or theory is only scientific if it can be falsified, but also it would say that if a theory is, fa- once a theory is falsified, you should reject it and look for another one. And, and many philosophers of science have objected to this idea that this isn't really how science g- works, you know, in practice. Like in, in, if you take like a physicist to do an experiment, And based on some fundamental theory like quantum mechanics or general relativity, they come up with, they predict that something will happen and then they do an experiment and it doesn't actually happen. What they're going to do is not reject quantum mechanics or general relativity. What they're going to do is that, you know, in order to get a prediction from theory, you always need some kind of auxiliary hypothesis that you add to the theory to get the prediction. You never get predictions observable prediction merely from the from a fundamental theory you need a bunch of a lot of other auxiliary hypotheses you know maybe there was something wrong with the measurement apparatus maybe there was some kind of uh, magnetic field from somewhere in the lab that interfered whatever you know you can you know there are all sorts of you you make all sort of hypothesis to the effect that those things are not are you know are, are not those factors are not present for instance and that's how you get the prediction so when when this happens when a scientist using a fundamental theory something that is taken to be very well established like quantum mechanics to derive a prediction and then the experiment fails you know they don't get the pre- what the theory predicted what the theory plus all those actually hypotheses that are more or less implicit predicted what they do is not say oh shit we need to get rid of quantum mechanics let's just abandon this start over. that's not how it works you know what they do is say oh surely it's not quantum mechanics that's wrong so there has to be something else we didn't think about and they look for that thing and they are right to do that because you know if they didn't uh people would spend most of their time rejecting fundamental theories and then there would be no solid ground on which to do science so so you know you're right that's that, that's uh that's a perfectly rational uh, thing to do people it's not just that scientists do that is that scientists ought to do this it's a good thing to do it and similarly as you said, you know when you you you're positing like one one thing that actually is a conspiracy theory in in the more like uh, straightforward sense, like the idea that Al Qaeda conspired for several years or month at least to to uh, to do nine eleven, and then someone points out that there is some kind of uh, tension between some piece of evidence and your theory. The rational thing to do isn't to just say, oh, shit, you're right. So it was a, an inside job all along, you know, at least it wasn't Al-Qaeda. The rational thing to do is to think about what what might be missing to explain away the discrepancy. And of course, you know, the problem is that that's also the sort of thing that Alex Jones and people like Alex Jones are going to do in the same situation. Right. So you can't really tell them, well, you know, the fact that you do that is what makes you a bad conspiracy theorist because good conspiracy theorists if I may use that expression do the same thing and they're right to do to use, to do the same thing
0: I think that if we're going to talk about conspiracy theory and we're going to talk about it this week we're recording it recording this podcast the day after the Mueller report was released I think we have to talk about the the Mueller report and the this conspiracy theory about Russian collusion and any way you slice it I guess Russian collusion is, is serves as a conspiracy theory because it's very much a theory about a conspiracy, but I went back and looked at some of your tweets, and you were pretty skeptical that there would be any evidence of Rus- Russian collusion. Uh, tell us, walk us through that. Why did you think that, and are you surprised at all I, by, you know, I, by I anything in the skeptical. Mueller report? I
2: was, I was absolutely convinced that there was no collusion you know like and it's not just that i think that any reasonable person should have arrived at that conclusion well you know uh basically i mean to 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 say it quickly my reason for not believing that any such thing ever happened is the same reason that i don't believe that obama is secretly like colluding with the 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 papoos you know to overthrow the, the the u.s government or whatever you know it's just that there was no evidence people would take utterly banal like interactions between russians and and members of of trump's campaign for instance or people in the orbit of trump's campaign and spin them into something ominous or and this whole thing was built on that on that kind of things i remember there was this article in the washington post talking about like a meeting between trump and putin and if you read the 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 headline and the the first few paragraphs they, they really made it sound like honestly if anyone who read just that i think would have come you know come away with the impression that uh, they would have pictured some kind of meeting secret meeting in the dark room filled with cigarette smoke and everything but really when you actually this is the when word. you actually read the whole thing they were talking about a, a few exchanges in a room full of like literally hundreds of people and, and television camera of televisions from all over the world it was during the a, a G20 summit. And I think this was the same thing, but it's not just that. It's also that the theory was always widely implausible, you know, like, so, you know, you can make plausibility judgments, uh, on, on things before you've, you've seen any, you've even started to look for evidence. Like if you take the, the steel dossier that, that was, that started being propagated at least in the summer of 2016, and that clearly, clearly colored some of the reporting on this. Clearly a lot of journalists had read at least part of a dossier and it colored their reporting on this. They would make suggestion or uh innuendos that they would never have made otherwise. You know, they would take seriously some claims that they would never have taken seriously had they not read this stuff and taken it seriously. But if you take this dossier, you know, there was some things in it that, that were provably false. Even BuzzFeed noted this when they published it. You know, a lot of people criticized Buff- BuzzFeed for publishing this dossier. Uh and Although I don't think they did it for any good reason, I actually think they did a service to everyone by publishing it because it allowed us to understand a lot of the the reporting on this. Why people were so convinced, despite the the lack of evidence, that there was something ominous, something nefarious in the relationship between Trump and Russia.
1: Just as background, it seems like it was a million years ago, but the context of that was that I I believe CNN had a day or two before published this story about how. The intelligence community had briefed Trump that there was this dossier out there of like material that he was being, that Trump was being blackmailed by the Russians or, you know, some sort of compromise. And that story, it did not include any detail about what the allegations were or whatever. But, you know, if you were to just read the CNN article, it sounds like, I I mean, my God, this must be really bad because the intelligence community is taking it seriously enough to brief the president on it. And, you know, uh, we don't Know you know it, it's very we don't know what sort of dark mysterious evidence there right, is, yeah. and then when Buzz publishes the dossier, you know you it, like a, a very quickly several elements in there uh, it it came out were were false. Like it said that Michael Cohen was in Prague, w- which he was not. You know, th- so there there was some stuff that was very quickly able to be shown to be not true, and then there was also a bunch of other stuff in there that I would say is just you read it and you're like, this is not very so possible. It, it, yeah, you know? if, if I remember uh,
2: correctly, you know, yeah, yeah, no, that was widely, I mean, that, I think that was a mistake. There was mistake, like there was factual mistake that would, that were easily verifiable at the time, you know, like, a, like there was, he, he, for instance, if I remember correctly, he claims that uh, page when he went on, when he gave this talk in uh, in July, 2016 in Moscow that he talks about in, in the dossier. And that was also reported at the time in the press, by the way, I mean, this was, this was, there was a story run by the Washington he was the kind of Washington Post about this. So it's not as if nobody knew it, like everybody knew about it. And he got the school wrong, you know, I know because I actually gave a talk at the school where he said he'd been, which actually wasn't this, the school where he gave his talk. And this is something that could, you could check already at the time, you know, like they, they could and should have done that, but evidently they didn't. There was also some really completely implausible ideas, like the idea that they would give Page and uh, perhaps some other people in Trump's campaign, like something like 20% of Rosneft, one of the largest companies in the world, like the several billions of dollars worth, you know, that's just to to play the intermediary, that, that's just crazy. You know, I mean, but you know, this is the sort of claim that uh, if you're going to make that kind of claim in like, in order to take them seriously, they need to be backed by serious evidence, which, you know... Just all we have like is uh, uh some opposition dossier, you know, like it's just Oppo research on with like no no like publicly accessible evidence of anything that's in there and those claims are pretty crazy, you know. And they're also like they don't they were totally implausible given what we know about Putin. I mean the real Putin not the, the caricatures this kind of like all-knowing like omniscient omnipotent like puppet master that that you sometimes hear about in the the western media and, and so you know there was basically a lot of things that just didn't make any sense but and that the sort of thing that shouldn't be believed unless uh, there is serious uh, serious evidence back in up another thing is that when it was published in in January by BuzzFeed in January 2017, we knew because several people immediately uh, said so that this thing had been or at least parts of it had been circulating for months among journalists uh, everywhere in the U.S. and even abroad. Uh, so for for sure, oh, so it. for <laughs> sure, a lot of those people had investigated the claims in that dossier, and evidently they hadn't been able to substantiate any of them because otherwise, you know, it would have come out in the press. So many people, so many important people in the media. Have invested so much in that story, you know. That uh, the, the incentives are very strong to gaslight and pretend that they never really believed in an actual like conspiracy in a very strong sense. That just having some random conversation with some Russians was enough to like constitute collusion, or or say that really what matters all along was the obstruction of justice and you know, all those things that are going on right now. But I think eventually, eventually, it will be it will be recognized as. A, as a massive failure of collective rationality.
0: There is another piece of very big news that happened this week. I guess shortly after Michelle Obama visited uh, France, Notre Dame burned. Are you saying there's a connection there, Doug? uh, I'm not the one that has suggested (laughs) there's a connection there. I'm just saying. But uh, you've you've also been pretty outspoken about the potential plans for, for rebuilding Notre Dame. And I'm hearing from some circles, and I think you have pointed this out as well, um, based on what the little bit of French that I can read from your tweets, that uh, there's in some circles, there's uh, some talk of rebuilding Notre Dame to make it more of a secular monument.
2: So the situation is that it, it seems that the main structure was was saved. Although apparently, I'm really no specialist of uh, architecture, let alone medieval architecture. But from what I read, I, I did read what some specialists had to say, and from what I understand, it seems like the structure has been saved. But we won't even know for sure if they won't need to like completely dismantle it before putting it back together, because apparently it may have been weakened uh, by the the high temperature, etc., and the water too uh, that the firemen dosed to. To uh, contain the fire uh, and put it down, but obviously at least the, the the spire was was lost, and so like the the French government announced on Wednesday that they would launch a uh, an international contest uh for architects to rebuild the spire, and like and uh, as they announced this, they suggested that both Macron, the president, and uh, Philippe. Edouard Philippe, the prime minister, suggested that as they rebuild it, they might have had some kind of like contemporary touch or something like this. You know, like Macron used the expression, we could have some, uh, how would I translate this in English? Some uh, contemporary architectural gesture. Now there is uh, a lot of people, including me, are afraid that they might, uh, instead of just rebuilding the, the cathedral the way it was, Perhaps adding some memento as a reminder of the tragedy that just happened or something like this. I'd be fine by this and I I gather that the vast majority of people would be fine with this. But I also gather that the vast majority of people want it to be rebuilt the same. They don't want some, some kind of contemporary abomination to be added on it. And of course, right now, I, I still think, I think it's more likely than not, then they will not do this. Uh, mostly because I think the, the public outcry, outrage would be so great that it would be a bad idea. But clearly they're thinking about it. And so I think it's very important that, uh, we make a lot of noise so that they don't do this. They lack humility. You know, they, they want to, they clearly have the temptation to somehow add their mark on these monuments so that they will remain in history. And the way they would do this is by adding some kind of like contemporary abomination on it. And so again, I think it's more likely than not that they will not end up doing that. But I think it's very possible and clearly they they are thinking about it. So we need to make a lot of noise so that it doesn't happen. So that's basically the situation as I see it.